He is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Grace and peace is ours through our Lord Jesus Christ. Welcome, dear friends, and I'm glad to bring to you the gospel from the rest of the story in John chapter 20 uh, about the resurrection of Christ. This event happens on the evening of Easter, Easter day. When a death happens in our family or among our close friends, it rocks our world. It turns us upside down and inside out, and that's what happened to the disciples. It wasn't just a friend or loved one, but it was one in whom they had learned to follow and put all of their hopes in. They had recently gone through the death of their friend Lazarus, and Jesus had raised him from the dead. And so they had gone the whole gamut of emotions with Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha. But now this was ten times that. It was monumental, and it was a gruesome death. It was hard to, to, to go through that whole ordeal, Good Friday, with Jesus, and they were really in post-traumatic stress, and they were hiding behind closed doors, and even if the Jews were not threatening them, they were afraid of the Jews. Their world was turned upside down. It's even bigger, though, to have someone you love who has died rise from the dead. In fact, it's so big, it's unbelievable, and since it's unbelievable, you're going to need a lot of help coming to grips with the fact that he really is risen. And so you can watch as you read through the, the, the four Gospels, you can watch as the disciples and the friends of Jesus gradually came to really trust that he had risen from the dead. We didn't get to live through this with them. We get to live through it with them through their witness, their scriptures, their, their, their stories. The, the man that wrote John was one of the men that was there with Jesus during those times. He even went to the cross and saw him die. He stood there with Jesus' mother, and he was there when Jesus appeared on Easter evening to all of them. He's the one that ran to the tomb Easter morning. Let me, let me kind of share the sequence of events Easter morning. So first of all, some ladies went out to the tomb, four of them, friends of Christ went out to the tomb, and they went there to put spices on his body on Sunday morning. It was the first day of their week. They had not done it on the Sabbath on Saturday because they stayed at home like good Jews would. But on Sunday, they went out there to show their respects and put spices on the body. And you know the story now. The earthquake and the stone was already rolled away, and they went inside, and they saw angels who said, why are you looking for him here? He's risen. He's not among the dead. And then as they were leaving... They saw Jesus, and he said, go and tell my disciples that I've risen from the dead. And as they hurried off, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb, and she saw that it was empty, saw an angel. And then she saw Jesus and thought he was the gardener. When he identified himself, said, Mary, and she heard his voice, she clung to him. He said, don't cling to me. I have not yet ascended to my father. Go and tell Peter and the rest that I've risen from the dead. She ran to tell them. Peter and John, hearing that news, ran to the tomb and found that the grave claws were there like he had just completely disappeared out of them. And they just whoo, dropped on the shelf. And the, the cloth that was on his head was folded up neatly and set aside, saying, this man was not, his body was not stolen, but he had risen from the dead. It says that John believed, insinuating just a little, because he had not yet understood from scriptures that Jesus had to rise from the dead, that he's coming to faith. Peter's bewildered. Then the Apostle Paul says, and, and so did the disciples later, they said that Jesus appeared to Peter sometime after that 
Peter and John run to the tomb. We really don't have it as a story. We just have it mentioned. And then two fellas are walking seven miles to Emmaus, which is about a two and a half hour walk. And Jesus appears to them on the way, but they don't recognize him. And he opens the scriptures to them and shows them how the Christ had to suffer and then enter into his glory through resurrection. And right at the very end, when he goes into the house with them, he disappears while he says the, the, the dinner prayer as he breaks bread. And they look at each other and said, our hearts were burning within us when he told us all the, the scriptures said about the Christ. And they ran all the way back to find the apostles. And they found them behind closed doors. And they tell them, we've seen Jesus. And they said, yeah, and Peter saw him too. They didn't really mention the women because they didn't count that like they should have as something that they could trust. But they were all together and they're all struggling. They want so badly to confirm he is risen and they've seen him, but they haven't really let it sink in. And they're, they're, they're going through stress. They're wondering if they maybe have, have just imagining what that they're seeing this. And that's where John tells the next chapter where Jesus appears to them and now they all can verify that they're seeing him it's John chapter 20 19 to 23 and I'm going to read it in just a minute but first I want to mention Chad referenced an Easter basket it's been a part of our culture hasn't it for all of our families that sometime we've had Easter egg hunts and Easter baskets I can remember growing up as a young member of a family of six children how much I look forward to Easter. We had our own baskets and they were stored away and we'd get them out and they all looked unique. And my parents would hide boiled eggs and plastic eggs full of candy and coins and, and little treats and sometimes matchbox cars all over our yard, a half acre, and they were everywhere. In fact, sometimes we would uh, not find them all and six months later we'd be playing somewhere in the yard and we'd find something. It was always good if it was plastic. It was no, not good if it was a regular egg. But I loved opening those, those plastic Easter eggs. And I secretly, like a lot of little boys, always hope for money over candy. And candy over some girly thing. Um, I've grown up since then. And, and we do Easter baskets even for our kids as they're grown. But, but they, they don't mean as much to, to me anymore. Because they're, those tangible things don't really satisfy my deepest needs. They don't satisfy yours either. I brought a basket, and these are some really big eggs. And these represent the big messages that Easter brings that really do satisfy our greatest needs and give us the greatest Easter present. And, and they're in this story from John chapter 20. So I'm going to read it to you. It's evening of that first day of the week. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and he stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. And, th and with that, he... He breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. In this little story are the big gifts of Easter. 
When you look at that, those uh, first words, when it says that Jesus came into there, to, to, he appeared there without even opening the doors. And the first thing he said was the normal Jewish greeting, Shalom, peace be with you. And then he repeated it again, peace be with you. You can tell that what Jesus is trying to say is that this thing that he gives is a peace that's much, much more than just your common greeting. He's saying, by saying it a second time after he's already shown them his hands inside, he's saying, what I've just done for you is all about peace. I don't know if you remember, but uh, the night before he died, John, the same gospel writer, records five and a half chapters of Jesus talking to the disciples. Twice on that night, in chapter 14 and chapter 16, Jesus said, I give you peace. Not like the world gives, he said, but my peace is an inner peace. And he said, you'll have trouble in the world, but in me, you're going to have peace because I've overcome the world. Well, now that he's risen from the dead and he's shown them that he's really a human, the, the same human being with a live body, he's saying, I'm bringing you that peace. What is peace? Peace is the, the, the feeling of calm, knowing that something is fixed. You ladies, you know what it feels like if, if uh, you've ever had car trouble. You know, you're driving down the road and your car makes a really loud noise and it does it intermittently and it's clonk, clonk, clonk and it makes that noise or it's wobbling and you go home and you tell your husband or your brother, you say, my, my car, it's, it's making a big noise and it kind of shakes and they go drive it and they say, I don't feel it. I don't know. I think you're imagining it. And then you think, oh, he thinks I'm crazy. It's, I'm not. It's really doing that, and you, you don't have peace about it because you know, I'm going to get stranded somewhere if this doesn't get fixed. And finally, your, your husband or your dad or brother, they, they drive it, and they, they feel it, and they hear it, and they take it to the mechanic. And you're still hoping they can get it fixed, but you're thinking, what if it's so big that I, I won't have transportation anymore? Or what if it's so expensive, I don't know how I'm going to pay for it. And then the mechanic calls. And he says, hey, we discovered what it was, and it cost you $110. It's fixed. You know that feeling? It's fixed. That's what Jesus was saying. Look at this body, it's fixed. And you know what else? I fixed everything for your life. You put your faith in me, and you'll have that peace no matter what you go through. It's fixed. Now that's an Easter present. That, that we want to have in our life. It's, it's something that Christians have, that even in the throes of death, they can have peace, that it's already fixed. They know that eternal life is theirs. I want you to see another facet of the great blessing of Easter, the second one. It's in verse 20. It says, after he said this, peace be with you, he showed them his hands and his side. And it says they were overjoyed. They were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Remember how I talked about Peter and John running to the tomb and John believed because he saw that the grave clothes were, were there and that the body hadn't been stolen, but that he had not yet understood from the scriptures. Remember how the guys walking to Emmaus said to Jesus, our women said they saw him and they saw angels, but the men didn't see him. Remember how I talked about them doubting? Well, now 
All of them are in the room. They all get to see him. They all get to touch him. And they, 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 they give themselves the freedom to believe that he's really alive. And they start to have joy wash over them. This is, this is similar to the feeling that somebody gets when the doctor calls and says, Hey, your tests after six months show no more cancer. You are cancer free. That is the, the sense of that joy. But it's, it's more than that. Jesus was dead and he is alive again. And because he's alive again, these disciples are going to live beyond the finality of death. Earlier in his ministry, and John is the apostle that recorded it, Jesus said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and die, and then I'm going to live again. And because I live again, he said, you also will live. When a person who trusts in Christ dies and their body stops living, their soul goes to be with him forever in heaven. Just like he said to the thief on the cross that on Good Friday, today you will be with me in paradise. That part inside of us that's the living being separate from the body but contained in the body, it goes to be with the Lord because of grace. And, and the body, though, that was, is buried will rise again just like Jesus, but not until judgment day. All of that is taught in the Bible. All of that was part of what Jesus had taught the disciples. All of that is what the disciples went on to teach others and teach us. That's why I can say it so confidently at Easter that we have great joy. That's what we have at Easter. We have great joy. And that joy is the joy that we're going, we, we can let ourselves have no matter what we're going through. There's more. Verse 22. After he'd already said, peace be with you, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone their sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. I want to get this egg out. This represents the gift that Jesus was talking about when he said, I give you forgiveness. Now, I just want to unpack this verse for you for a minute. He, he breathed on them. The word breath Wind and spirit are all cognates. They're all part of the same thing. Jesus gave them, and he, he used a symbol, like washing feet symbolized his sacrificial love. Breathing on them symbolized the giving of the Holy Spirit, but he was giving them the Spirit. Just like he gave it at Pentecost in a much more prophecy-fulfilling way, here he's already giving the Holy Spirit to them. And, and, and here's the theology that Jesus is sharing. By ourselves, we cannot figure out what the big gift is that we're supposed to go and proclaim. He says, I'm sending you with forgiveness. Grace is another word for forgiveness. It's God's grace, God's riches at Christ's expense. It's the forgiveness that we didn't pay for, we didn't earn, but we have it and it, and it restores. I want you to think about this now. Peter Denied knowing him three times. Peter is forgiven. Judas betrayed him and could be forgiven, but he didn't want it, didn't believe it. He tried to make up for it himself. Jesus, 
himself is over all of the disciples' failures. They all ran away from him and left him. You'd think after the traumatic experience that a human being would come back to life and haunt people. That's what, when men write the story, that's what they say. They're coming back to haunt you. Jesus, he came back to save. He's completely settled. God reconciled the world to himself by the death of his son. And Jesus took care of it all. Grace is restorative. In fact, it's one of those gifts that we get as Christians that even Christians struggle to remember it's the main thing. Remember I said the Holy Spirit was given to them so they would get what the main thing was? Even though Jesus gave them the Spirit at that moment with the words, I'm giving you grace and forgiveness to share. In Acts chapter 1, as the story goes on, they ask him, Is, are you going to restore Israel as a nation on earth? And he says, it's not for you to know all those things. You stay in Jerusalem until I send the Holy Spirit, and then you will be my witnesses. Then you'll go out and you'll say the right things. And when the Holy Spirit came, Peter preached a sermon about grace and forgiveness, not a sermon about some earthly kingdom. It's the grace that restores us between, that restores us in a relationship with God. I want to tell you a story. Uh, a few years back, I went to see a man in prison that had committed crimes. And I asked him when we got to sit down, and it was a, a pastoral visit, nobody else around. I said, have you, we're, I was getting to know him. And I said, have you been reading the Bible while you've been in here? You got a lot of time on your hands. And, and he looked down and he said, no, I haven't. Because I figured that God doesn't really want me after what I have done. I said, look up, look at me. And he looked at me and I said, God got over that 2,000 years ago. He said, what? He got, I said, he got over what you did. You may have done it in the last few years, but he got over it 2,000 years ago. And the tears of relief just rolled down his cheek. He was restored. Every time I went to see him after that, he's voraciously reading the word of God because he no longer believed that God was pouting and angry with him. That's what people do. That's not what God does. Secondly, when grace is believed and understood that that's the big Easter gift, it's restorative between people. And one of the reasons any of us might not be uh, experiencing rest restoration between us and another person might be because in our hearts we are not fully embracing the grace that is ours. Let me explain what I mean with another story. A now sainted woman who was in her early 80s when I went to see her at her home said one of the things that's really bothering me pastor is that I have a son whom I cannot find. I don't know where he is, and he won't call me. He won't come see me. And she said, about 15 years ago, I lent him $15,000. It was all the money I had in the bank. And, and he never repaid it, and he probably has no intentions, probably can't. But he's letting that guilt keep him away. And she said, you know what, the, what really gets to me? I forgave him of that $15,000 a long time ago, and I can't get my son back. I just need to get to him to tell him 
there's grace and forgiveness. We went to God in prayer about that. And in about 10 days, out of the blue, her son called her. And when he called her, and he started off by apologizing for not being in touch and telling about his guilt, she was equipped with grace. And she said, son, I forgive you of all of that. I'm an old woman. I don't have much time left. I don't want to talk about the past. I just want my son back, and I have grace to give you. That's the gift of Easter. Whosever sins you forgive, they are forgiven. And it restores people in a right relationship with one another as well. It also restores, grace restores a relationship that you have with yourself. One of our biggest problems is that we look at ourselves only according to our sins. We've got a, a conscience yapping in our ear all the time, but you are the one that did those things. And you are the one that didn't do the good things you were supposed to do. And we talk to ourselves negatively because we are speaking the truth. And what's so hard about it is we know it's the truth about our mistakes and our sins. And so it's hard to get off of that. Well, here's the deal. The truth is God forgave those sins. You can be honest with yourself, but not hate yourself because God loves you. If a little three-year-old makes a, uh, does something wrong and they get scolded and their parents, uh, they, they rightfully accept that and then they say, I'm so sorry. They might say about themselves, I've seen it happen. I'm a bad boy, I'm a bad boy. But you pick that three-year-old up and you put him in your lap if you're the parent and you say, you're not bad boy now. I forgive you. I made you happy. I made you good. You're forgiven. I love you. That little three-year-old usually believes their parent over their feelings. Well, it's time that we adults do the same. We believe his grace and forgiveness over our feelings about our sins. Let Easter be that for you. Peace be with you. You're forgiven. You have grace. Now, Peter was there that night. Peter had denied him that he even knew Jesus. Peter knew guilt, but he also knew this grace and peace and joy. Peter went on to confidently preach as Christ's man the, the man, Peter, that had denied knowing Jesus now was standing in front of the Sanhedrin himself, the same council that condemned Jesus to death. And he said in, in Acts chapter 4, there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And they took Peter and they imprisoned him. And Peter said, and then they, when they released him later, they said, don't talk about Jesus anymore. And he said, I can't help but speak about the things that I've seen and heard. In 1 Peter, in the end of Peter's life, he wrote that all Christians live their life in another gift. It is the great gift of hope. The gift of hope. He said, we have a living hope. I want to read it to you. It's in 1 Peter chapter 1. Listen to this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Peter is at the end of his life and he's living in the Easter hope. He's living his whole life that way. And into God had us birthed into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. 
You see, the Easter baskets and the Easter eggs of my youth have all perished, spoiled, and faded, and so will everything else that's tangible in my life. But not, not the peace and the joy and the grace and the hope. It will never perish, spoil, or fade. Peter says, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the, the, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though it's refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. We live our whole lives under the stress of the sufferings on this side of heaven. All of us, we're, we're tested by it. So was Peter. Right now, our present national test is, is, is this COVID-19 virus. We, we all feel it. That's why we're all watching online. That's why I'm speaking to you through the internet and not in person. But we have hope. We have hope no matter how this goes. Because our hope is kept in heaven for us. It's not kept here. If it was kept here, it would finally die and be destroyed like everything else is going to be. But it's kept somewhere else. It's kept in heaven. Kept safe. That inheritance of eternal life with God is above and outside of this life that's passing away. Peter learned that. Peter taught that. Peter lived that. God wants us to learn it, teach it, and live it too. You can have a happy Easter no matter what you're going through because you have peace, joy, grace, and hope. Amen.